0: Clancy Pasta Presents, I've Been Hiding Under My Desk for 12 Hours, written by Justin Tutts. You're probably wondering, how did he get here? Well, I'll tell you. It all started with Dave's fucking salmon casserole. It started around lunchtime yesterday. I'd been complaining to my cubicle neighbor, Karen, about the smell of Dave's reeking salmon casserole that his wife made him bring to work for the past few days, and Karen had been in the middle of telling me to bring it up with our manager when the fire alarm went off. We looked at each other, and then around the office. We couldn't see any fire anywhere, but being on the 15th floor, we didn't want to take any chances. I picked up my phone, and we walked out of the cubicles. Perhaps it was just a drill— Looking back, I wish it had been a drill. We walked out into the hallway with the elevators. Like most office buildings, you needed a pass to scan into the actual work areas, confidentiality in the sort. I beelined for the elevators, but the stream of people flowing from the office reminded me that, in the case of a fire, you should always take the stairs. I was about to go and follow them when Karen grabbed my arm. We're taking the elevator. I looked at her confused. What do you mean, Karen? We have to take the stairs. She looked at all the people going down the stairs, then at me, then at the elevator call button. She pressed the button and met my gaze. Oops, guess I'll take the elevator. I'm not taking 15 levels of stairs down to the main lobby for a drill. If it were real, we'd smell the smoke through the vents. By now the flow of people had subsided, and it was just the two of us on the floor. I looked at her then to the door leading to the stairs, then to the light that dinged, saying the elevator had arrived. On impulse, I went over to the elevator and got on. If the elevators were still functioning, then surely this was just a drill. Karen smiled smugly and came in after me. She pressed the ground floor button, and the elevator began its slow descent. So the boss is giving me some pretty important reports to work on. Something to do with the expenses in our genetics department. All very hush-hush. I think I'm in line for a promotion. Isn't that great? I looked at her and blinked. Of all the other accountants I'd wanted to be in an elevator with, why did it have to be her? Yeah, that's just great, Karen. She smiled again, not sensing my sarcasm. Yeah, it is. You'd better start kissing my ass now, Jim, if you ever want to get out of that entry-level position. My name's Mark. I've told her that multiple times, yet she insists on calling me Jim. The elevator slowed and then came to a halt. I looked up to the floor display, surprised to see that the elevator hadn't stopped on the ground floor like I'd thought. The small display showed the number 7, and I frowned though I figured perhaps someone else had pressed the call button on that floor and we'd simply get more passengers. I shrugged and passively listened to Karen, who was in the middle of a long-winded rant about how she was so glad that she would finally be the manager, and pulled out my phone. Due to being blinded by her own brilliance, she didn't notice that we hadn't stopped on the proper floor and stepped out into the hallway. She turned back to me, and noticed the horrified expression that was plastered across my face. Confused, she asked. What's wrong, Jim? Can't fathom how amazing I am? She turned and snickered, stopping only moments before a large mass of grey steel crashed into her, splattering her against the wall. My breath caught, and for the first time I allowed myself to peer out of the elevator, past the dead man in a white lab coat, that had horrified me before. The walls were caked in blood and viscera. Half a skull was stuck to the wall, marinating in a gooey glob of congealed blood and brain matter. Bits of white fabric were poking up here and there between masses of limbs and organs that had been pulverized by an unknown force. I choked back the bile as I looked to where Karen had ended up. What was left of Karen was pancaked on the wall. Next to her was a large grey filing cabinet that was crumpled along the edges as if by some sort of vice-like mechanism. Her hair was splayed against the wall like a halo around her fragmented skull. Her Gucci handbag was still attached to her flattened arm, though it was clearly stuck in the drywall. I choked back a scream filled with vomit as she began to peel off the wall, leaving her detached scalp behind. A thought crossed my mind, and in my shock, it took me a moment to realize what it implied. What threw that filing cabinet? I slowly turned, as if the longer I refrained from looking at it, the less likely chance it had of existing. Yet, as my eyes fell upon it, I knew it never should have existed. It stood nearly eight feet tall, its head nearly scraped against the roof. There were bandages covering the entirety of its neck and head, seemingly obscuring its vision entirely. Though it was anthropomorphic in nature, the similarities between it and a human stopped there. Its arms were thick and sinewy, skinless muscles that rippled with each minuscule movement the creature made. On each of its wrists were large shackles with chains dinkling off of them. At the end of its right arm was a raptorial hand, each claw tipped with a large talon. At the end of its left was a huge metal spike and rested with its tip on the ground. Several large clear tubes hung off its wide back and dangled just above the floor, and a black liquid flowed through them. Its legs were the size of tree trunks, each one tightly bound with leather straps that strained against the large vascular muscles. It stood still, moving only when it took in a deep breath from behind the bandages. A groan sounded from the other side of the floor, as if someone was pinned under something, and after seeing the huge filing cabinet and threw with such ease, I assumed that was the case. The creature moved in a flash, covering the distance between itself and where the noise came from in a matter of seconds. I heard the groan once more, followed by a series of sickening thuds as the creature brought its metal appendage down on the person over and over again. I turned to the floor buttons in the elevator, wondering why the damned thing wasn't moving, and my heart dropped. There were no more lights, no more power, just a single message displayed over the screen Emergency. Please use stairs. I felt all hope leave me as I looked from the screen to the creature that was still thudding away on the person's corpse, eviscerating whatever remained. I weighed my options and realized I had to. Attempt to make it to the stairs, or die. I chose the former and began silently creeping along the wall, headed for the exit door at the end of the hall. I was nearly there when my foot landed on top of something squishy and wet, throwing my weight out from under me. I hit the ground with a loud thwack, throwing my phone in a large arc behind me, back towards the elevators. It hit the ground with a loud smash and, to my relief, the creature was soon standing over it and not me. I slowly rose to my feet, wincing as my eyes fell upon the piece of scalp stuck to the ground as it began pulverizing my phone. I opened the stairwell door and crept inside, letting it click shut behind me. I began moving down the stairs, but stopped when I heard a roar coming from lower down. There's more than one. I felt like crying. I felt like throwing up. Yet, I turned and walked back up the stairs all the way up back to floor 15, where I could use my office phone to call for help. You may be wondering, why not stop on another floor and use someone else's phone? Well, the answer is simple. Our phones in this office are password protected, Anytime you want to use it, you have to enter a four-digit code into the receiver, then dial a nine followed by the number you wish to call. Anyway, I finally got back up to my floor and scanned my card on the access pad, getting entry to my workspace. I walked quickly, yet quietly, over to my desk and sat down in my chair, grabbed the phone and entered 9-911. I put the phone up to my ear and… nothing. There was no static, no waiting tone. Nothing. I hung up and tried again. Nothing. Unplugged and plugged it back in. Nothing. Disconnected and reconnected the CAT3 cable from the back of the receiver. Nothing. I tried again and again. Nothing ever changed. I sat back and began to cry softly and on my folded arms, feeling the futility of my situation. I stopped when I heard a loud crash come from the door where I'd entered from. I quickly pulled down my monitor and my keyboard down with me under my desk. I've been typing this slowly for the past 12 hours in addition to browsing company files, stopping whenever I hear it walk by. It's been close several times so far, but I'm counting my blessings at this point. I just hope I make it out of here alive. Some of you may know where I am by now, but... I'm asking. Don't come. Don't help. The files revealed what it is. And you can't stop it. Part 2. I finally stopped hiding under my desk after 13 hours. Okay, I know some of you have been waiting for an update, but a lot has happened since I posted the first bit. I'm happy to tell you that I'm fine. I somehow lived and am now at home. I just wish my wife wasn't making goddamn fucking salmon casserole. Okay, before I tell you what happened, hear me out. I get it. Tuna casserole is traditional, tastes great, and when you add just the right amount of celery with a pinch of salt, it typically comes out great. Top of the fucking line gourmet Caucasian cuisine. Now, what I don't get, and I got a lot of people in my DMs vocalizing the same thing, is who the hell spends nearly $30 per pound on salmon and puts it in a fucking casserole. I'll tell you who. Dave's fucking wife. She then told my wife, Hey Maggie, want a great dish your husband will love? And my wife was all like, Oh hell yeah, my dude. So, now I have enough damn salmon casserole to last me a goddamn eternity. You may be asking yourself, how much salmon casserole is that? Well, I'll tell you any amount, because I'm not eating that shit. Dave ate it, and he was miserable. Give me macabre monsters that can throw filing cabinets any day of the week, but salmon casserole? No. Just no. Ooh, Sorry about that. Just need to get that off my chest. Anyway, you're here not to hear my rants about salmon casserole, but about how I escaped. After posting that first spin. I remained curled up under the desk, shaking nervously with every footfall that happened just beyond the thin wall of my cubicle. I kept the files open on the monitor, reading all the while, trying to decipher any potential flaw in their design. Since so many of you wanted to glean information about their origins, I'll share it in a moment. Firstly, I want to approach the topic of my employer. I can't reveal that, no matter how much I may want to. They fabricated monstrosities that wiped out the entire genetics department. I couldn't hope to survive long with them on my heels. No, the only hope for Amnesty is to keep their name out of it. Just know that they operate under the guise of a pharmaceutical company with a distribution chain that spans the globe. Enough said on that. Time for the juicy details you've been salivating over. Thankfully, I was able to slip the files from the company's mass file share onto a small USB I had stored in my desk. I'll paraphrase a transcript of the report to the executive committee below. October 25th, 2019. Location, Presidential Boardroom, 16th floor. Time, 9 to 9.30 EST. Genetics head, name removed gave a presentation on October 25th, 2019 to the Board of Executives. The meeting held was to debrief the Executive Committee on the state of the project, including key high-level facets of the project, including timing, limitations, concerns, funding, and lastly, public safety in the event of a breach. The head genetics began the presentation by giving a brief yet thorough introduction As you are aware, we've been working on this project for quite some time. In layman's terms, we have begun the process of implementing a genetic enhancement dedicated to provide the U.S. military with the quintessential soldier. The project received $20 billion spread over four years in funding and unlimited access to military infantry for experiments, with little to no repercussions for breaking the law. Tests began little more than three and a half years ago leaving us a little more than six months to bring the desired product. I am pleased to say that we are on track with the development despite the given limitations. Limitations? The president had interjected. Yes, sir. The compound used is an isomer of traditional somatotropin hormone, or human growth hormone, and, as suggested, enhances the growth of humans. Typical uses of the regular hormone increase growth of human muscles and organs beyond their genetic potential. Our intent has been to alter the compound to a point where it increases all manners of growth. Simply put, we inject the hormone into the pituitary gland of our patients. There were certain limitations that were presented when we'd initially started. In this instance, it would appear that the longer the subject had been out of puberty, the more adverse effects were observed. They would grow disproportionately. To be exact, we had instances where their skeletons would grow before the muscle, causing them to burst through their skin and shred all muscle and skin in the process. They typically died almost instantaneously, as their bones thickened and squashed their skulls and compacted their brain. Needless to say, it was rather gory. The solution to this problem was to ask for younger infantry members. Now, ideally, we would have had children in the age of 12 to 15. The youngest age they had to offer were those that were aged 17 and had joined with parental consent. At first, we'd brought in a couple of the more muscular males, figuring their bodies would be more suited to the rapid growth. Once again, we were wrong. The hormone caused their muscles to tear at an alarming rate. As the residual scar tissue caused by years of hypertrophy training grew brittle. This was atypical of our hypothesis for a couple reasons. See, we'd figured that they had the best shot of continued muscle growth, as their body would be used to the rapid tearing and healing that goes hand-in-hand with weight training. However, their muscles tore easier than we'd expected due to the focus and training on low-intensity bearing muscle fibers to focus on size gain. We scrapped that demographic and moved on to the next, still in the 17-year age range, but we'd opted for the late bloomers, the children that hadn't yet reached the peak of puberty. Our efforts were proven to bear fruit, though they did raise some concerns. Though we did ultimately have two subjects survive the initial procedure, they were hindered by the second weaponizing part. The first subject lost all layers of his epidermis in the process to bond the steel alloy to his left arm, and an unexpected mutation of his right hand took place. He lost all vision as well, though his hearing was remarkably improved. Additionally, his quadriceps detached from each other. Though they remained functional to a degree, we fastened leather straps to them in order to secure them in place. One small issue is that any sound evokes a primal rage, the likes of which we haven't seen. It was only by some miracle that we were able to sedate him. The president spoke up. And what about the second one? He fared much better, save for one small exception. Though he suffered no loss of any sensory, he became highly volatile and destructive. His actions appeared to be motivated solely by his senses. If he smells, sees, hears or touches anything that he doesn't like, he becomes enraged. Thankfully, we were able to sedate him. Though, like the other, it required a significant amount of the sedative pumping continuously through his system via a large dialysis machine. The meeting then concludes with them reviewing best courses of action to take regarding further action and other subprojects they've been working on though that information is of little consequence to my experience. Pretty crazy stuff, huh? Well, after I finished reading the documents, I slowly clicked back onto the webpage with my prior post on it. Perhaps you could rig the fire alarm to go off again and use the noise to muffle your own. User Terminator116, you saved my life, thank you. With that, I attempted to log on to the company's security mainframe. It was operated by one of my coworkers named Doug. He was on the 12th floor, but I knew he'd patched it into the main intranet for ease of access on his part. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, this dude's an accountant. How on earth would he be able to get into the security system of a multi-million dollar company? It's a fair question, one with several convoluted answers, and one easy one. I knew Doug's login information. See, he'd shared it with me one day because he had to leave early but wanted to make sure that he signed the digital timesheet at his usual time so he could still get paid for the full day. Yes, that's fraud. Yes, I'm an accountant and we should be trying not to support fraud. But I was still relatively new within the company and didn't want to say no to a senior member of the company. Luckily, I still knew his login information and could access the security system with relative ease. Username? Doug? Dot Francis, password, fuck salmon casserole 190. Okay, that clearly wasn't his password. Would you seriously think I'm going to share that on the internet? Of course not. Anyway, I was in. I hovered over the active status icon where it said emergency in progress and clicked sound alarm. Simple enough, right? No, because why would anything be simple? The siren erupted with a banshee-like wail from the several alarms mounted on the walls, causing a loud guttural roar to sound out across the entirety of the floor. Shivers ran down my spine as the monster ran, crashing through the wall towards the sources of the alarm. Chunks of cement and rebar flew around the room, shattering computers, cubicle walls, and windows as he ripped out the first of the alarms. I stifled a scream, not wanting to draw any attention to myself. I slowly rose from underneath my desk, narrowly avoiding a large piece of concrete that was flung across the room. I flinched and turned to see the concrete smack into the far wall and get embedded in it. I gulped, knowing if one of those pieces hid me, I'd be dead. I began moving quicker, trying to get to the staircase on the other end of the floor, away from the staircase I'd originally come from. To get there, I had to cross the lunchroom and weave through another maze of cubicles. It proved to be a wise decision, for as I neared the entrance of the lunchroom, I heard another loud scream join in. I turned back, eyes wide and mouth agape. The second behemoth had joined the party. It stood half a head taller than the first one, though unlike the first one, it had no bandages covering its face or body. It had no shirt on, just a large pair of what I would only assume to have once been baggy arm fatigues. They now clung tightly to his leg muscles, threatening to tear with each and every flexion. His torso rippled with sinewy muscles that moved underneath the skin like thousands of thick worms, all struggling to breathe. His arms were thick and muscled, though he didn't have the same weapons as the other behemoth. His hands were large and his fingers were thick. Each one looked like it could wrap around a basketball and crush it like a walnut. But that wasn't the worst part. His head appeared to have grown slightly disproportionate to his body, with his thick vascular neck muscles expanding out farther than the sides of his dome-like head. His eyes were sunken in with a mixture of blood and viscera dripping down from them. His teeth were sharp and he smiled menacingly as he laid his hands on me. I turned and bolted into the lunchroom, hoping to potentially hide somewhere within, accidentally kicking over a chair that loudly banged against the ground. That's when I noticed the alarms had stopped. I looked back in horror just as the lunchroom wall exploded inwards, and the two monsters walked in, one listening to locate me, and the other staring daggers right through me. I won't lie, I pissed myself i have been holding it for hours, and as the much-needed release occurred, I couldn't help but notice the smell. Not the smell of urine, but the smell of something else. Something awful, ungodly, and downright disgusting. From the look of it, I realized the second beast noticed it too. He looked around the room as I looked over to the table, well aware of what it was that was reeking so badly. Dave's fucking salmon casserole. Then I remembered something from the file. The second subject had heightened senses, and anything that he didn't like angered him. I knew then and there that the salmon casserole would instill a fury he'd never felt before and send him into a blinding rage, but how could I utilize that? I looked to the dish, then to the monsters, then to the dish, then to the blind one. I suddenly knew what I had to do. I bolted to the table, hoping they were too slow to catch up to me, and by some miracle, I got there before they'd even moved. I gripped the edge of the container and lifted it up off the table and put those two and a half years of little leak into the perfect pitch. The salmon casserole hit the blind monster, and he staggered back as the smell entered his nose through the bandages. The second one got a better smell as well. He turned and swung an almighty punch into him, sending him hurtling back to the other room. I stood there, stunned, as he walked back out through the hole to finish the job. The first one stood and swung his metal spike towards the second, who dodged at the last second and grabbed him by the face, stepping forward and driving him back. The first reached up and dug his long talons into the back of the second, peeling away strips of flesh and opening up large slits across his back. The second screamed out and punched the first in the gut, causing him to buckle at the midsection and fold in half. Then he gripped two of the large tubes connected to the first back and ripped them out, causing black fluid to fly out of his back like a satanic fountain. Then he drew his fist back once more and pounded on the first back, sending him straight into the ground, cracking the concrete below on impact. The first lay there for a moment, unable to move despite the threat to his life. It was clear that although he'd had weapons, the second was vastly superior in fighting technique. The second stomped several times on his back until a loud crack was heard across the floor of the office. The first didn't move. The second turned to me and gave me another menacing smile as he realized what his body was capable of he began to move but as he took his first step a large steel object poked out of his chest he looked down and frowned then went limp as the object was retracted he fell to the ground in a large dead heap and the first rolled over and let out one final scream The next few hours were a blur. I went back to the remains of my desk and grabbed my briefcase, then walked down the fifteen levels of stairs and out into the street, where several men in black suits and official-looking badges began to ask me a series of questions. I explained everything to them, leaving out the USB I had in my pocket and the post I'd made earlier. They thanked me and let me walk my way, saying they'd be in touch. It didn't hit me until hours later, as I sat down at home, trying to explain to my wife that no, I hadn't been cheating, and no, I wasn't hungry for goddamn salmon casserole, that I realized I'd never given the men my number. So here I am, in my room, trying to ignore the reeking smell emanating from the kitchen below as my wife prepares dinner. I think I might vomit. Wait. Wait. I just heard something from far in the distance. It sounded like something screaming in a fit of rage. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description and go to youtube.com slash ClancyPasta to hear new episodes first. And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com stores slash clancypastastore. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers.